we are on a mission to help lawyers and law firm owners maximize wealth and achieve financial independence. Welcome to The Lawyer Millionaire with Darren Words from Words Financial Services. In this podcast, we will help you build wealth, minimize your taxes, and plan for retirement with money management strategies designed for the legal profession. Join us in this journey where we help you manage your money so you can make the most of your future. Start feeling confident in knowing you are well prepared for retirement and on track to financial independence. Now on to the show. Personal setbacks can either keep you down or turn into the fuel that drives professional triumphs. Challenges can actually forge opportunities. Today, we'll unpack a journey of resilience, transformation, and innovative leadership in the world of law firm ownership. Welcome to the Lawyer Millionaire Podcast. I'm your host, Darren Wirtz, financial planner for law firm owners. Today, we're fortunate to have an extraordinary guest, someone who embodies resilience, innovation, and leadership, Jeff Grant, the founder and owner of Grant Law. Jeff's journey is a testament to the power of transformation and grit. In our conversation today, we'll explore not just Jeff's career, but also dive into the theme of coming back from a crisis. Because let's face it, life doesn't always go as planned. Jeff, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thanks, Darren. So good to be here. Absolutely. Let's start by just uh, giving our audience a little bit of background or current information about who you are and what you're doing these days. Well, I am a lawyer, and um, I say that proudly because I'm a lawyer again after being disbarred for 16 or 17 years. Um, relaunched a uh, law firm in New York City, and I provide uh, private general counsel and uh, white-collar services basically to an audience of people who um, are going through white-collar prosecution issues and other personal crises and who want to hire someone who's not only been through it, but it has the kind of skill sets that I have both in law, having been a former general counsel of some major companies, and uh, re-entry and uh, recovery. I'm uh, 21 years sober. And um, ministry, because I am uh, an ordained minister, having um, graduated from Union Theological Seminary in New York City. And this whole kind of mishmash of stuff that comes together in a way where uh, I can help people through their uh, issues and then hopefully out the other side to lives of um, success and meaning and uh, at a time when they probably have uh, little hope for that. So it's a blessing to be able to do that and also to provide you know, um, legal acumen. And of course, for your podcast, you know, a story of uh, how you restart a law firm after uh, after kind of being in the in the woods for so long. Yeah, absolutely. You know, on this show, we're we're always talking about you know goals and dreams and the future, and you know the journey to where we want to get to is not always a straight line. <laughs> there are bumps and and curves along that pathway, and. Things don't always go the way we kind of anticipate them to. And I'm excited to unpack our topic today, coming back from a crisis. And you, you mentioned, you gave us some teasers in that intro. So thank you for that. 
you know, everyone experiences crisis in one form or another. It's universal to the human experience, I think. And law firm owners, I think, are highly prone to um, stress and, and issues just because of the nature of being a business owner and being a lawyer. I mean, throw two of the most high stress um, things in life together right there. So let's dive in. Tell us a little bit about your background and your journey and the crisis that you went through. Well, um, I was the owner of a law firm first in New York City and then in Westchester County, New York, which is just north of New York. And uh, I was the owner. I had about 20 lawyers and other staff working for me, um, successful probably by uh, any standard. Um, and then um, um, once I moved up to Westchester County, I became the general counsel to, to uh, a couple of major real estate organizations in equities and uh, in brokerage and management. And things just started to take off. Um, and uh, of course, I was working 16-hour days, heavy, heavy stress. Um, in 1992, I had a sports injury. And as a result of that, became addicted to prescription opioids. And uh, that was kind of a 10-year run down um, the rabbit hole of addiction. Um, there was really no way to know at that point I was kind of uh, an early adopter or an early victim of the uh, opioid crisis. Um, just letting you know, I would never consider myself a victim. I was a willing participant, but um, maybe many other people were as they were suffering through this kind of uh, uh, mass communication of what was good for us, even though it probably wasn't. Um, that wound up leading to all kinds of financial issues um, in the law firm as well as in my life. And um, at the end of the 1990s, um, the firm was running out of cash, although I was barely coherent and barely knew that. And my office manager came to me and told me that we were going to run out of cash and that um, we wouldn't be able to make payroll. And then I made the unfortunate decision to invade the uh, escrow account, the attorney trust funds. Um, at that point, um, I believe there were probably millions of dollars in it because we had a real estate closing department as well. Um, and um, once I did that, um, there was really no coming back from it. Um, it took um, two or three more years of winding through an ethics complaint and then all kinds of issues uh, uh, surrounding that. Um, in the midst of that, 9-11 occurred, mm -hmm. and I took that very hard, probably because I was already teetering both from the uh, opioids and from a lot of stress. And um, a couple of months later, there were advertisements back then on TV and radio, um, ad, um, advertising for businesses that were um, adversely affected by uh, by the 9-11 tragedy to apply for uh, SBA EIDL loans. Um, I called them up. I told them my circumstances. They told me I would qualify. I got the application. And in the application, uh, despite the fact that I most certainly would have received the funds I was looking for, and at that point it was $247,000, I couldn't help myself. I was uh, desperate, and I lied on the application and said 
that I had an office about a block from ground zero. Um, um, probably a sidebar, it's, it was in Donald Trump's building at 40 Wall Street. So I don't know how that relates to everything that's going on in the world right now. But um, it did not help save the law firm. And then a few months later, um, was given the news that I would not be able to save my law license. And on that day, I resigned my law license and got my last prescription for um, for opioids. And uh, after the family went to sleep that night, um, I took the entire vial and tried to kill myself. Mm. And that was the end of chapter one. Wow. You really were at rock bottom at that point. What was it that turned you around, that, that gave you the strength to kind of pull through that moment and make a change in direction? You know, I, I've tried to unpack that now for 20 years, and I am confident that I was engaged in self-sabotage. Mm. You know, I didn't, um, I didn't like the life I was leading. I thought it was inauthentic, certainly not where I wanted to be in the world based upon um, where I was as, as a, a, a child um, and making a lot of bad decisions. And I didn't have an elegant way out. I didn't um, have the tools just to unwind things. Um, and uh, so I threw a hand grenade and jumped on it. And um, so I do think that subconsciously it was intentional. Um, when I uh, when I woke up from that stupor, you know, through uh, um, detox, and then I went to rehab for seven weeks. Mm -hmm. um, I just kind of knew that you know I needed to escape the life I had been living, and this was the life I had been given. And um, I'm not sure how quickly I kind of got on board with that, because the you know the acceptance process takes a while. Yeah. But certainly, um, I I knew I had been transformed in, in on some level of that, and. Um, I became a, uh, a card-carrying member of Alcoholics Anonymous and went to three meetings a day and got sober and uh, all the good stuff that came with that and some of the bad stuff was, of course, um, that um, I got arrested uh, about 20 months later for, um, for the um, fraud that, um, that concerned the... Uh, um, the uh, um, statements I had made on that SBA loan application, and I was already disbarred. And so I was just kind of moving forward now in an uncharted way, mm -hmm. uncharted way, excuse me. Um, and um, But I was sober, and so I was able to handle it. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, did people around you, did they know what you were dealing with, what you were struggling with, or was this a surprise to them? Well, they said it was a surprise to them, but if you look objectively at how I was behaving, mm. I had ballooned up to uh, 285 pounds. Um, I looked like a drug addict, you know, I, like there was sweat just kind of like oozing out of my pores. I was, uh, because of the stress, I was, uh, I was uh, vomiting up blood. I was, you know, when you say I would hit bottom, you know. I was there. So 
do I think that other people saw that? Um, they would have had to have been blind not to see it, but I didn't see it. Um, you know, I was in denial. So uh, I don't, I certainly don't blame anybody for that. But, uh, you know, to answer your question in the narrow, yeah, they probably knew something was going on. But, um, you know, interestingly, um, on my fifth or sixth day in rehab, um, our best friends came from New Jersey to, to see me. And, um, and um, I asked them, we were sitting in my, my room at Silver Hill Hospital in New Canaan, Connecticut. And we were sitting in my room and it was one of those rooms that was, um, uh, you know, that was uh, um, suicide proof, you know, with breakaway, uh, breakaway um, um, hangers and there were no sharp objects in the room and they had taken my shoelaces and they had taken my belt and all of that. And I said to them, how could you have not said anything? You must have noticed that these things were going on in my life. And they looked at me and they said to me, uh, Jeffrey, we must have told you a hundred times. Mm. And I didn't remember once so wow. how much denial I was in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that was then. Now you're in such a different place. And, you know, I, I just love this because so many people may think like this would be like they're you know, nightmare, a nightmare scenario, but it wasn't the end. And you turned everything around in a completely different direction. Tell us about the journey back. How did you regain then your law license and then set about to start a law firm all over again? At what point did you kind of say, okay, I want to, I want to get back into this. Was that the idea? Had you just kind of given up on the law or Tell us what, what happened in your in your brain well, there. Well, I never gave up on it, but it wasn't my plan. You know, mm -hmm. every, every decision I made, every move along the way, I always had in the back of my mind, how will this affect me should I decide to uh, apply for readmission mm -hmm. or reinstatement uh, uh, of my law license? And so there were micro decisions along the way, and some of them were actually large decisions. Like, for example, um, I never went bankrupt. And um, I could have. I had a, a lot of debt, but I worked things out one creditor at a time. And that was, and with the intentionality that, uh, of, of doing it in, in such a way that if I ever want to reapply for my law license, at least I'm someone who's honored all of my obligations to the best of my ability. And, um, and what I didn't do is just bail on them in, through a bankruptcy. So there was that kind of a decision making along the way. Um, but um, I, I was doing things in the world that were, were meaningful. You know, I had uh, applied to and got into seminary and I became an ordained minister and I was doing prison ministry. And I think I would have been happy doing that forever, you know, and still I, I still do that actually. I still spend half my time doing that and uh, running all white collar support group that we uh, that meets on Zoom every Monday night and, and a bunch of other things related to that. Um, but it became clear a few years ago that um, as much good as I was doing to the world um, and I was helping people and they were helping me um, spiritually, what they really needed was a lawyer to trust mm. and uh, and help shepherd them through uh, you know, a, a very serpentine process and a process that um, 
is not very welcoming to people who um, have been accused or prosecuted for white collar crimes. So um, I did put my uh, application in for reinstatement, and uh, that took three years of running that gauntlet. I, I think it would have taken a little bit less if it wasn't during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, the 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 craziest part of it um, for me was that I didn't really know what was good for me or what was bad for me. I didn't know what was helpful or not helpful, you know. And so for the ten years or so that I was just doing things for good and I was helping people and doing things um, for the public good because I was also involved in other nonprofits and things like that. Um, that probably became one of the largest deciding factors to the uh, character committee um, when um, they decided to uh, support my uh, reinstatement to the bar. And I have to tell you know your your listeners out there, it's generally not a good business plan to work for ten years without getting a salary in the hopes that maybe, down the line, you'll be able to get reinstated to the bar. But I was uh, fortunate enough that um, at that time, um, the government did not take away all of my assets, and I was um, I was able to support myself and my family, although probably on one twentieth the amount of income. And uh, um, and um, it became, um, I think, a compelling story that I was involved in prison ministry. And then um, when I did get my law license back, I had already started kind of a uh, a plan that um, because I knew that there was a hole in the market for for people who were going to rep for lawyers who were going to represent people with uh, prosecution and regulatory issues, uh, white collar prosecutions and regulatory issues, but who weren't strictly criminal lawyers. You know, there was all these things that were surrounding someone who's being prosecuted, uh, bankruptcies, family law issues, real estate issues, uh, partnership issues, dissolution, succession issues, on and on and on. All kinds of things that I, I had been dealing with when I was general counsel to wealthy family-owned businesses. And now I could bring it to bear for people in with a specific life issue that I related to so well, and hopefully that they would relate to me. So I hung my shingle out in New York City, and um, I had no idea if it was going to work. I had no idea if I could even communicate it effectively. And um, but there had been so much publicity around the the um, around the ministry and around the white collar support group, uh, and specifically. Um, just after I got my law license back, there was an article that uh, ran in the New Yorker magazine about um, about um, our support group and uh, about the work I was doing. And so I can pretty much divide my professional life into two categories, right? Before the New Yorker and after the New Yorker. And because once the New Yorker hit, it was just like a tsunami of opportunities and of people who were reaching out for all kinds of help. And uh, Darren, even today, um, I don't really care if someone is calling me for um, for support or they're calling me as a lawyer. I don't care if they can pay or they can't pay. You know, my my calling is to help, 
and uh, we're going to find them a resource no matter what. Yeah, that's incredible. Do you feel like, you know, this is, you have a, I, I feel like just listening to you, you, you seem like you have this sense of mission and purpose. Do you feel like you have more purpose today than you did 20 years ago? Yeah, um, I think I have purpose today and I, I don't know if I had any purpose 20 years ago. That That's the thing. It's like, I I only do now what what I believe in. I only, I, I, I'm, my, my goal is to help people. Yeah. But back then, um, you know, my goal, I don't think when I started to be a lawyer, I, I thought I was still, uh, you know, idealistic and I had pretty lofty goals, but ultimately I was, you know, I was a mouthpiece for hire. You know, I didn't, I didn't have to believe in anything other than what I was getting, get, uh, getting paid for. And, um, and with that, it was only about winning and even the definition of winning wasn't necessarily my definition. It was the client's definition and the people who I'm helping now, mostly I have much better information and certainly a, uh, a larger, longer pedigree than they do of, of what's in the art of the possible? I mean, can I really have a comeback? Can I really have a life that's meaningful and worth living again? And so it's not just me as a poster boy, you know, it's me as as uh, having resources, including literally thousands of people who've been similarly situated, who we can call upon to help. So if you're someone who's suffering in uh, and you have a specific um, area of business or law that um, that you're being prosecuted for, or you live in a certain geographic area, or whatever the ever any which way you want to cut it cut it up, we probably know people who you can relate to and who would be willing to share them their themselves and their experience freely. Mm-hmm. And so, I what a gift. You know, yeah. what, what a gift to not have to go through it alone. I mean, as we say, uh, you know, it's the isolation that destroys us and the solutions in community. And uh, that's turned out to be true. Yeah, I love that. It's the isolation that destroys us. I'm, I'm curious how your experiences have shaped your business model and how you deal with your clients, how you work with your clients. Are there different things that you do that are informed by your insights and experience now yeah if, if, if this is kind of getting down to more of a technical conversation about about rest- how i restarted my law firm and what my goals are um i'm older now and i'm like no longer aspiring you know i've i've arrived and whatever that means you know it's like i, I it's like I, i'm i'm not I, i'm i'm not in competition with anybody well first of all mm-hmm. one of the reasons i'm not in competition with anybody is that there's nobody else who does what i do yeah you know you have to have that unique combination of credentials and this so um and no one would really want to do what i do or may, maybe i will lead, be able to be a trailblazer somewhat for people who who see this as a uh, a worthy undertaking. But um, what happened was, is that, of course, um, as soon as I got my uh, my law license reinstated, 
I automatically retreated into some of my old behavior, grandiosity and uh, um, the things that I swore I would never get involved with again in terms of building a firm and having high overhead and everything else. And when I started to really parse it out, you know, I realized that all of those were were trappings mostly, mm-hmm. you know, because you know I had a successful firm, but mostly all of the rest of the firm was just kind of paying for itself, and my 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 billables, what I was doing, was paying me. But some I had to oversee oversee this entire machine under the mistaken belief, or maybe at that time it wasn't mistaken, but it would be a mistake for me now, that I had to, I had to have all the bells and whistles. I had to show everybody you know, the signs of my success in order to um, attract the kind of clients that I wanted. But now my success is I'm carrying it on my back. You know, I, I don't, you know, my the fact that I'm alive, the fact mm. that I'm uh, that I've gotten through the other side with some grace and dignity and success is my calling card. So I didn't really need that, and um, and frankly, it took my uh, my dear wife Lynn, who's my you know my not only my partner in life but my partner in all things, and she kind of hit me in the side of the head and she said, uh, "What are you doing? You know, like you're not going to go back to the." things that almost killed you the first time. Yeah. So are you secure enough just to put yourself out there? Mm. And um, ultimately I was. So um, my my business plan became very simple. You know, it was pretty much um, 90% of my time was going to be spent on Zoom or its equivalent on, on video with with clients or maybe on the phone and the other 10% would be traveling or seeing clients if it, I if I had to or going to have uh, meetings with other lawyers or meetings with US attorneys offices or attending conferences but primarily whatever was going to work from the um from my home office um because um New York was still kind of in lockdown when when I got my law license back and I, I found out that, you know, the the, uh, the adoption rate of of lawyers and other services that um, that people would tolerate um, being on online with, um, I I didn't have to solve that problem. The problem had been solved for me. So um, whatever it meant, I mean, if it meant that I was going to be successful or not so successful, um, I was going to build a business. That was going to work for me instead of me working for the business. I like that, and um, and it took off like like, and and the the ministry and the support group took off, and and my law firm took off like, and they were, and they were um, linked together because um, mostly because of search engines and. And my name was kind of synonymous with white collar support group, mm-hmm. but I've always been very careful. You know, I'm not like I'm not um, cherry picking from the support group clients um, because mostly those people who are joining the support group, and now there are we've had 750 people um, who have joined the support group. Um, most of them um, 
can't afford lawyers. So it's it's not really the you know it's it's not really the right place to be trying to harvest law clients. The law clients are really coming much more from the um, the the outreach and the magazine articles and and from the from from people who become aware of the fact that we have a lot of resources that we can uh, we can provide them with and and law is just one of them. Yeah, that's incredible. You kind of built your whole. I love what you said there. You know, building the business around what works for you, having the big overhead. You know, the the big operation isn't always what it's all about. And, you know, when you really clarify your purpose and your goals in life, that becomes obvious to you. Um, we've talked on this show before about goals and purpose, and you have helped us take that to a whole new level, I think. Uh, but it's so critical. You know, a lot of times we're just trying to earn as much money as we can or build as much money as we can. We forget to step back and think, you know, what is all of this really for? And the, the truth is, if you're just trying to accumulate wealth, you'll never have enough. It will never be enough. Uh, you're trying to make more money, you'll never have enough money. <laughs> but, you know, if you really have uh, your sense of purpose in mind, you can reach a place where it's like, okay, this is what I want. I'm happy. I've reached a place of of peace and, and fulfillment. And it sounds like you've uh, achieved some of that for yourself. So I'm, I'm really... Yeah, I'm just amazed to hear your story and your journey. And uh, as we're coming to the end of our time here, unfortunately, I'd I'd love to keep going. Um, but let's let's talk a little bit about your future plans. And uh, do you have anything in the works? What does the future look like for you and in your and your business? Um, in, in, interestingly, much much of what I I have planned, I'm kind of in a quiet period. In terms of being able to disclose that, okay, that's yeah, the good sure. news. That's, that's the good news, you know that that opportunities have just um, have just come in, yeah, uh, mostly because um, of the positive message, you know. And so there's there's like the news, like getting my law license back was news, and getting um, and having a white collar support group that's had. Um, Almost four hundred meetings on Monday nights is kind of news, but then there's there's the human interest story, much of which we've talked about today, and so between those things, it draws a lot of um, a lot of interest in a lot of different areas. So um, I will be there will be news about some of that very soon. Great, um, but also um, using technology in order to um, to reach people and to be able to help them. Um, whether it be through AI or whatever, we're like we're just kind of scratching the surface of that. Um, I, an example is just this week we launched a uh, a, a live chat on the uh, on the ministry website on the White Collar Support Group website. That's uh, prisonist.org, by the way, is the uh, is the um, ministry website. And so, if someone wants to contact us. You know, so often uh, they're they're doing it in the midst of um, of desperation or great suffering, and some and often it's in the middle of the night when they can't sleep and they're mm. they're scrolling, looking for the needle in the haystack, you know, doing searching, and they find us, and and yet the only way they could get in touch with us um, before this week was they would fill out a form and we would get back to them and. 
depend, and that could be a bottleneck. It depends how many people reached out to us. But now, through um, the um, the magic of uh, of uh, of AI and of uh, of um, and of what technology has brought us, um, we have a, a a portal that runs through Slack and then sends the message out. In this in this secure group, to people to volunteers who have been trained, and if you choose, you can be on a, a phone call with someone who is a live voice who's been through these issues. You can you can be on that phone call with them uh, within minutes. Wow! And so that is like a crazy thing, given yeah. the fact that. When when all this happened to me twenty years ago, there there was barely even an internet. I mean, I had no information, and now if you need to be comforted and you need some some answers in the middle of the night, um, maybe even seconds, somebody you'll be in touch with someone. So that's really that's powerful tool. Yeah, good stuff. And we look forward to hearing more about you and your journey and the things that you're doing. Um, quickly, as we as we wrap up here, Jeff, would you please share with our audience how they can find uh, more about you or get in touch with you if they want to? Yeah, that's uh, Jeff Grant or Jeffrey D. Grant. It's at grantlaw.com. That's the law firm um, website and has all the information that you need, grantlaw.com. And if it's on the ministry side and, um, and you're uh, suffering or you have a friend or a uh, family member or a colleague or a client who's in need, that's prisonist.org, prisonistlikefeminist.org. And um, we're, you know, we're here for you. And uh, al- almost any issue that um, anyone going through a white collar um, problem has had, uh, we've been through it before you and we have a lot of information that can be very helpful to you and your family for free by the way on the uh <laughs> on the ministry side and if you become a law client uh i'm you know i'm not i'm, I'm not a, a rapacious uh uh person uh, my job is to help people through not to uh not to overcharge them or uh, create larger problems than actually exist you know absolutely Well, thanks again, Jeff. And thank you, the listener, for joining us today. And be sure to tune in to our next episode as we bring you more stories of resilience and success. To make sure you never miss an episode, hit the subscribe button. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to leave us a review. At The Lawyer Millionaire, we partner with law firm owners, enabling you to find clarity and gain control over your personal finances so you can create wealth and achieve your lifelong dreams. Learn more and schedule a time to chat with me at thelawyermillionaire.com. I'm Darren Wirtz, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to The Lawyer Millionaire. Click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not intended to represent investing or tax advice. Always seek the advice of a qualified investment or tax advisor with any questions you may have regarding your own financial circumstances.